Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, owner and user of Mint Mobile. And I am recording this message on my phone. I'm literally on my Mint phone. Why? Because fancy recording studios cost money. And if we spent money on things like that, we couldn't offer you screaming deals. Like if you sign up now for three months, you get three months free on every one of your plans, even unlimited. Visit mintmobile.com slash switch. Limited time, new customer offer. Activate within 45 days. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. Unlimited customers using more than 40 gigabytes per month will experience lower speeds. Video streams at 480p. See mintmobile.com for details. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three types of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable, to see if each person at the end of the pod says, that's my kind of weird. I'm your host, Anthony, and joining me today is author L Nash. L, how are you going today? I'm good. <clears throat> Just waking up, basking in the Glasgow weather, which is very gray. It's rainy. It's perfect. So it's 10 a.m. and I haven't seen the sun yet, So, which is nice. <laughs> You're uh, our first uh, time, first occurrence where someone who has been pitched about is now appearing on the show. So you're the, the first guinea pig. Oh, that's cool. I love that. I know. I saw, yeah, I saw myself like tagging the post and I was like, oh, this is cool. So it's exciting. It's nice to be here. Great, great. All right. So, um, Elle, are you ready to get weird, weird with me? 100%. Let's do it. Okay. So present your something watchable. All right. My something watchable is this found footage horror movie called The Outwaters. And I'm so I'm like a found footage fan. I'm also like a horror movie fan. I could probably watch like two or three horror movies. I haven't done that lately, but I'm like tend to get in these things where I will just like watch everything. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like when you are into like really weird things, it's hard for something to surprise you. You know what I mean? Especially if like you watch yeah. a lot of horror, you're like something that this really scares you is like so rare. And so I was like, I was browsing on Amazon and I just saw this film and it had like really low Star, like a really low star rating and I was like that's curious to me that always means like something's divisive which makes it like even yeah. better you yeah. know what I mean um so yeah I, I never I, I have so many low rated films that I count as my favorites yeah yeah and so I was like all right I'm in I don't know anything about this I love going in blind to movies um I saw it was found footage I was like I'm down I'm down to watch anything found footage just to see what it's like and this movie like blew my fucking mind. Like it, it changed for me. You know, when you like see something and you're like, this changes like the genre for me, you know what I mean? It was absolutely like transformational. Um, the story itself was like, I mean, it's so, uh, it's so hard to describe. Okay. So imagine like, imagine like the horror of going camping like in the desert which you will get this because you live in australia (laughs) like this vast this vast like nothingness (laughs) full of like fear and like darkness when you go camping like it's dark right and this movie like replicates so well like the emotional and like physical experience of what it would be like to encounter like some unknowable almost cosmic horror-y threat like the closer you get to it the more mad you get and it's really subtle it's not done on purpose like i don't think it's you know intentionally like lovecraftian i just think that horror like unknowable horror like just feels this way to humans and it really Mm -hmm. replicates the experience so well like i was like i was shaken you know i was just like i became obsessed with this yeah so wild really good um the script writing is like so tight i was super impressed with it as an avid consumer like of too much horror um weird as shit and disturbing but good like 
I don't know. There were like moments of wonder in it, which like you don't really get right with horror. So, so that's, that's my, uh, that's my something watchable. Yeah. Given uh, what I've read of deliver me. So, so far, and given you say it's extremely weird, um, it's definitely uh, uh, something I'm going to have to put on my to-watch list for sure. Um, so my something watchable is Gen V. I know there must be many thoughts going through your mind right now. Is this the right place for me? Do I belong here? But let me assure you that we see something in you, something you may not even see yourself, even if you do have X-ray vision. Congratulations, and welcome to Godolkin University. So, Gen V uh, is... Have you watched Gen V? I have not. I watched a little bit of The Boys. I'm not, like, I'm not a super huge superhero fan, but I like Eric Kripke because I loved Supernatural, so okay. I saw that yep. he, would, he, he was working on that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm... I kind of have always been a big superhero fan, but I think um, uh, what Marvel has done with the just relentless oversaturation has just kind of just gotten me to the point where I've just tapped out and anything that sort of subverts the superheroes genre or pokes fun at it is always fun. What I've seen of Gen V so far, so it's set in the same universe as the boys. It's the sort of like the, um, the college that the, uh, wannabe superheroes are going to and it's an interesting take on that genre because you would you would assume that it'd be you know all sunshine and rainbows with like a college and uh you know kids that are you know with like a coming of age story but this one is really not because the the two main it 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 has a lot to say narrative wise there's also there's the narrative of kind of what um, influences are doing to this society as a whole, everyone, what uh, popularity and the need to be popular is doing to to not just society as a whole, but um, there's a deliberate narrative about what it's doing to women, which I find Mm -hmm. quite interesting because it seems to be more that whenever there's a narrative about uh, influences and the need to be popular and what what that's doing. It seems to be just about the society as a whole, men, women, and, you know, sort of non-binary people. But this one is specifically, um, I don't know if it's targeting women, but it's definitely saying something about women which hasn't really been said before, which is good. I mean, for instance, two, the two main characters, one of them has this blood power which in order to access blood like it's it's in you right so she has to cut herself to get the blood out to Mm. turn it into a weapon and then the other one she yeah yeah and so that so obviously the narrative about cutting yourself um and and i guess the psychologically what that can do but then there's also the um her her roommate has the power to miniaturize so she has to purge in order to shrink herself to a sudden size so there's so like the need to like throw throw up up. purge yeah wow yeah Yeah. that sounds that does sound subversive because there's like a price like you know there's commentary on that there's a price for this in a way or or essentially like what are they willing to do to be able to like what are you willing to do to achieve this exactly which i'm very familiar with that yeah yeah Uh, yeah well that in itself um it's, uh, I mean, I haven't been through either, but I did used to date someone who used to cut themselves. And so I'm sort of familiar with the mindset, but for them to just outwardly say that there's a price to be paid if you want to be, you know, popular and be a superhero and be able to do all these things, then this this is the price. So, and this is just in, I've only seen two episodes. So I, I think that, yeah, that's... uh that's uh, something definitely worth checking out. Mm, that seems interesting. Do you think that it's? Be, do you think I'll have to finish watching the boys to be able to like get Gen V, or do you think that it's like it stands on its own? I think it stands on its own so far. There's um, there's elements of it like it's just familiar enough that 
you you could be either way. You could be a huge fan or you could be someone who's totally unfamiliar with it. But I would say that if you're getting into it and you're not familiar with the boys, that's mm-hmm. going to um it's gonna fuck with you a bit. I mean, for instance, the girl who's um miniaturized, who can miniaturize, she um uh she has a night with this this guy who is apparently known around campus for only sleeping with girls who have miniaturization powers because he has such a small penis and so in the in the, the episode you see her shrunken down to like the like an inch who she's jumping on his balls so um wow <laughs> Wait, is this like it's like so it's on Amazon, so they're just like we don't care yeah. about like the censors or anything. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You definitely see a small woman jumping on his dick and balls. So that's yeah. Amazing. That's full, someone's full view. That's definitely someone's <laughs> fantasy. I'm sure of it. Mm. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll uh, present your something readable. So the something readable that I I'm going to present is Wetlands by Charlotte Roche. Um, she's a German author, I believe. And okay. how to explain this book. So the narrator is like an 18-year-old girl. And the juxtaposition of this book is very clever because it's really disgusting. Essentially, like, um, she, I'm pretty sure she was like doing something I'm trying to remember it because it's been a while since I read it. She was doing something to her ass and it was like sexual and she had to go. She has to go to like the hospital to get it fixed. But she's so obsessed with like, I don't know. I don't know. It's so it describes so many like gross things in visceral detail um, because she's like obsessed with sex. But in this very unusual way that the juxtaposition juxtaposition of her being like 18 and young is very clever because most of the stuff that you would read in it, you like for me, I'm like, I cringed a bit. Like that's the same thing. Like with apparently like my barometer for like what I like to read or whatever is does this make me viscerally like uncomfortable? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's either low or like, high, depending which way you look yeah, at yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but it was so clever because like I think there's this societal idea that like a young eight year old woman is like hot, right? Like in porn or whatever. They're just like, oh, this is like teen mm. or something. You know what I mean? Um, and the fact that it's juxtaposed with all of these, like, really viscerally, like, disgusting descriptions, like, she talks about, like, boogers and, like, body excrement and all these things that wouldn't, you know, that you would find yourself maybe, like, recoiling at in this way, um, which is what makes it, like, I don't know, I just felt like it was very clever. And the, the timeline of her being in the hospital and having to, she's like coming down to having surgery, but she's also just like obsessed with wanting to be loved and like wanting her parents to get back together because they're like divorced. So there's like this other human mm-hmm. element of it where it's like, it's not just like, here's this gross book. It's like the, this woman who um, she's obviously like trying to find, I guess, some way to feel close to other people, in my opinion. Like she becomes obsessed with like a nurse that comes into her room. And so she starts doing things to harm herself to keep like the nurse around. And it did, it hits this like fever pitch wow. when I'm reading it. And yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I just don't know. Like, I was like, can I get through this? You know what I mean? Like while reading it, it's very rare that I, that I feel that way, like about a novel. And um, it's just, it's the detail, like the viscerality of it is so good um and obviously like only having read the like the english translation of it you know it makes me wonder like what is it like to read like the original you know um mm, yeah which, something always gets lost yeah. in translation doesn't it yeah yeah so so i don't know i would definitely recommend recommend that um it also like for anyone i guess who like comes to literary fiction or something like that it's also it's interesting because for me, it would expand my idea of like what a novel like could be and like could contain like the kind of world that you can take someone through just through like establishing a sense of authority about the narrator, which I think it does like really well. So I mean, we'll go into this when we do the interview segment of mm-hmm. this podcast episode. But do you feel that or well, firstly, was this read 
did you read it before or after you you wrote Deliver Me? I read it after most of the draft was done. The book was already coming out. I was just doing final touches when I when I finally read this book. So I had like I had done an interview with Sasha Gray and was asking her about like her own inspiration. She recommended that book to me. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to read this. And so when I finally sat down to read yeah. it, I was like, this book is fucking good. You know, I was like, damn, <laughs> damn. Like I, and it came out like, it came out in like 2008 or something like that. So yeah. I never yeah, heard of it yeah. until like the she wiki. recommended it. But apparently, yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right. <laughs> uh, it's an anal fissure that she. Yes. Gets. Yeah. Yeah. According yes. to the Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I see now what you mean. So there's it seems to have this fascination with bodily fluids, which are secreted mm-hmm. or excreted. Yep. Yeah. Sounds German to I me. Think, <laughs> I think also like she she does like general gross things too. Like she becomes obsessed with like growing an avocado plant. I think in her hotel in her uh, hospital room and the way that she even talks about like growing the plants and like collecting all of these things is like, it's so gross, but it's written like really well. Oh boy. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, fuck. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I think it kind of reminds me of hearing you describe it kind of reminds me like the reaction you're getting to it reminds me of when I saw this horror movie called Teeth way back mid-2000s about this mm-hmm. woman who i don't know if you've seen it um it's this woman who or teenager i should say she lives near a radioactive plant and somehow develops teeth in her vagina which mm-hmm. she figures that she can use to her advantage if you know she gets taken mm-hmm. advantage of so yes a lot of penises get bitten off in that film so um yeah mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Obviously, I've heard of it. I, but did, I, don't I didn't expect to it. talk about genitals as much in this podcast episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, that tends to happen a lot when I talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, my something readable is Red Room, uh, the anti social network by Ed Piscor. Um, don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's quite a well-known cartoon uh, American cartoonist who's done uh, stuff like the Hip Hop Family Tree, X Men Grand Design, and uh, Red Room is this uh, sort of like a, a murder on the dark web. Um, sort of the catchphrase for it is murder on the dark web for fun and profit. It is a graphic novel that is just viscerally disgusting. I think viscerally is definitely the um, the uh, the mm-hmm. main word that's going to be used in this episode, but this one really mm-hmm. is. Um, and it sort of follows um, these people that pay to watch mm-hmm. other people get murdered um, on the dark web, much like uh, in a streaming situation. So is there's lots of lots of illegal acts around like degradation, uh, carnography, all live on webcam. And when you actually read it, the art is just it's just it's just so wrong on so many different levels. There's uh, um, elements of sort of like the, uh, cri- the criminality aspects, but also the sort of gorgeous art of people having their pretty much their guts kind of ripped in two and um there's also a bit of a commentary on cryptocurrency as well in in the way of how it can be used for uh by people who are nefarious who are on the dark web so it's uh yeah it's it's definitely something worth picking up mm. i wonder what his personal experience with that is. <laughs> it always makes me wonder i was researching him a little bit before the show i saw that yeah. he has this yeah this podcast not well i guess it's like it's a youtube show um yeah i I like comics i like manga like i like junji ito and stuff like that um so like horror manga yeah yeah so i was checking it out and i I would definitely be interested in um yeah in like seeing red room so yeah his perspective is interesting on his youtube show because him and uh, his buddy that do it, um, 
they have both worked for like in and out of the bigger sort of com- comic book companies, but then they've also done a lot of indie work too. So not only is it, uh, it has that sort of, um, I guess, street cred, if you will, but it also has sort of that someone who's been a professional working in doing that for as long as they have and seeing their perspective on different creators who are well known and also if you want to learn more about comic books like that's a really good one to start with because it goes through the ins and outs of the uh the art the artistry the lettering um they also have a lot of um because they've been in the game for so long they have a lot of insider knowledge um uh unlike stuff like, like they've even done ones where i don't know how they've managed to do it but they've gotten a hold of like court transcripts like when like there was one where neil gaiman took uh i think it was dc to court and they actually read through the actual court transcript and sort of acted oh, it wow. out so it's so it's uh yeah it's really interesting i wonder if if ed piscor gets any pushback for the super violent stuff that he puts out you know what i mean or if like because he i'm assuming is red room like done independently or does it come out like like on an official press or something like that so it's through maybe it doesn't matter Hmm. well it's through fanographics who are known for doing some pretty subversive and surreal stuff um that was sort of the first like comic book press that was independent to even touch queer comics so they're they're really good for that mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but but it was bad um it was banned in several comic book stores it sold it was funny it sold out on amazon initially but it was mm-hmm. banned in certain comic book stores mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i guess yeah, maybe yeah. that makes sense because there's like kids who can access it more easily or something like that you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. 100%, yeah. Mm-hmm. All, right, all right. Present your something listenable, and because of the way you explain this in our <laughs> emails, I'm really curious to hear it. Okay, so my something listenable is like not like a music thing or anything like that, which is funny. It's um, Jody Hatton's binaural beat audio on YouTube for like sleep cycles and meditation. Um, and I know I said it's weird, but like something about, so there's so many like binaural beat like videos and stuff on YouTube, which are kind of annoying because they're full of like this also weird hippie music that for me is like just not conducive to trying to get to sleep or focus or anything like that. Um, I'm really into binaural beats as a concept because of the way that it can influence your brain waves and like your mental state, um, like big into meditation okay. and that kind of thing. And so the reason why I like this particular channel is because most of his videos are just the binaural beats. So it's just the, oh, just the beats themselves. There's no music or anything. And yeah. And like they, so as a person who, like I do, like I do like guided meditations like three or four times a week and then just a regular meditation at least like once a week. And this in particular, as someone who's consistently like feeling my consciousness changes, like when I'm meditating, there's been times when I'm listening to this, these particular binaural beats where like the, the hertz, the way that the hertz move, it changes the, it's supposedly changes the brainwave pattern like that is going on up here listen to it I feel like I can actually feel that like I can feel when something goes from like delta to like to supposedly like theta in a way or at least it's like moving me to like a deeper space um which is like I don't know it's really cool as a person who's very interested in yeah in consciousness and like and like thinking about what those different states do like they've done studies that show that binaural beats can help like regular use can help reduce like depression and anxiety and like those kinds of things. They're doing preliminary studies on how, um, being able to modulate your brain waves through whatever technological devices we can use to like figure that out can also help like lessen depression and anxiety. And as a person who, who suffers from a, you know, like mental afflictions, like we all do. Um, I am, I am really interested in how, like how we can 
be conscious of that that brainwave state and even like how we can learn to control it because with practice there are you know with practice like meditation eventually becomes less of a struggle right like everyone's like oh it's so hard it's hard it's like over time like you learn to kind of sit with discomfort and then you can you can also find yourself like when you're in liminal state still having some some level of consciousness and being able to like direct things in your mind the way that you want um, so that's why specifically I like these binaural beats because I've had that experience. There's no like weird music trying to inject like feelings or whatever into my mind. It's literally just the beats. Um, and um, yeah, the experience has been really good. One time, like I was, um, so I take Vivance like once or twice a week. I do have ADHD, but I don't okay. like to take meds all the time. Yeah. And so I was trying to use this to sleep, but obviously like, because there's stimulants in your body, like getting to sleep is so much harder, you know, like physiologically your brain is like, I'm not sleeping right now, but even meditating like on this, I feel like the experience of moving from like one brainwave state to another was so intense. I was like awake through the whole process, but also not. And like letting my mind like go wherever it wanted to go. And I hit this point where I was just like, in my mind, I was like, maybe I can commune with the divine, you know, like maybe life is beautiful. Like I had this like sense of euphoria. And so I was like, this is like fucking great, you know, like for someone who is consistently meditating, you know what I mean? Like um, it was awesome. And it just for people who, who are interested in like learning more about their consciousness or like meditation binaural beats almost make it, it's like easier. It's like a tool that can help you, that can help you practice, you know? So that's my something weird. I guess that's why it is a little weird. Cause it's like, I don't know. People would probably look at me and be like, that's okay. Sure. Like you're, like you're just laying in bed thinking you can commune with the divine. That's a little weird. <laughs> I, um, this might come down to my own ignorance, but, um, of meditation, but, um, you mentioned how some people comment to you that meditation can be we uh, can be hard. What 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 is it about it that makes it hard? Um, I think it's just the f- oh, my light keeps turning off. I think it's just um, you can see how dark it is. Like this is like morning in Glasgow. It's I have like two lights on and it's still like so dark out. Anyway, I think what makes meditation hard is um, focus. Like I don't think that especially if like you're not used to focusing, it's like a skill set. Like it's a muscle that you have to develop, Mm. um, which is really hard for me. Focusing is really difficult. Like my brain is consistently always wanting to like find, like do or find like other things, like finishing something all the way through, even like a 30 minute meditation, like it takes like, you know, practice. Um, But it's also hard because I think people have an expectation of meditation that when they sit, they should, their brain should just already be like silent. And then if they can't do that, that they're not good at it. But like meditation is a practice. It's, you're not meant to be good at it. You're just simply meant to do it and observe. And so that's kind of the thing is where you're like, if you're, if you sit down to have like, like a meditation session and like your brain is all over the place, like that's fine. You're just observing it. Like you're observing what happens. You're gently like trying to maybe bring, if you have like a goal, you know, like a specific type of meditation you're doing, you know, when it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, count your breathing or whatever, gently bring yourself back to that. Um, but like, there's not even a, there's not a need to like judge it or like judge what's happening. Like that kind of like, it's almost like defeating the purpose. It's just a do it's not like, or a try, you know, it's not like, a am not good at this or I can't do this or, or any, like, those are all just like illusions. Those are things that like your brain is coming up with. It's resistance to, to building, you know, like a habit or what have you. So, um, I think that's what makes it hard for people is like those kinds of judgments. Or even almost competing with themselves, you know, where they're like, I'm not good at this, so I shouldn't do it, you know, when really like self-doubt, if you just like sit, yeah, but if you just like sit and, you know, you just sit and like, let yourself observe that, you know, you learn more about yourself, like in that process, you just like accept, you know, and, and like kind of see what happens, like weather that comes, you know, you can't like control weather, you just like let it come and go, you know, so I think, um, that's what makes it hard for people, um, and then probably Maybe that's also like, the, the problem, like being confronted with, with, your, with yourself, you know, like being confronted <laughs> with the, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, I imagine a lot of people got confronted with self and during, you know, COVID and things like that. And maybe it's a similar sort of connection, being able to 
like I've often questioned those who constantly need to be busy and need to be doing things, and I found that people like that struggle the most when they're when it's just themselves in their own thoughts in their own space, and maybe it's those mm-hmm. people as well. Yeah, yeah, it's likely. Like if you have a hard time, like sitting still, it can be hard to confront yourself. I mean, I still don't. I don't like confronting parts of myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lifelong <laughs> process. Um, but no, it's hard and it's hard to be like consistent with it. And it's also really hard to like be bored, for example. Like I have had yeah. meditations where I'm like, I go to this like this Buddhist temple place where we'll sit for like 40 minutes sometimes. And I will like I hit these points where my brain is literally like screaming at me. Like it's like I'm so bored. I'm so fucking bored. I'm bored. Like I'm really bored and like it sucks. But then you kind of just like have to like yourself be bored and like as a creative Mm -hmm. for me was what i tell my child all the time when she doesn't get youtube is that um like boredom's good for you (laughs) it's good for your creativity (laughs) so i just have to tell myself that too a little six-year-old in my mind is like i'm bored so bored (laughs) a little boredom Uh, is good for you (laughs) with my son i um i snapped at him the other day and i'm just kind of like you have it so lucky kid like on the weekends, all we had was car racing and golf, like, on on TV. That's mm. all you had. And he's like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Classic old dad moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. What do you mean there were channels and you could only watch what was, like, broadcasted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that instant that. gratification thing that's a constant struggle in the parenting mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Getting back to what you said before, though, I did – have when I was 15, I was hugely into the band Tool and all everything mm-hmm. that they that they did, like side projects that they did, um, even sort of like the um, the sort of I guess you could say like medita- uh, meditative um, uh, angles that they went down with their music. Um, hypnagogic regression was one as well. That idea that if you try to meditate or pull yourself uh, into your own thoughts the moment. You know when you feel like you're about to fall asleep and mm-hmm. then you start to meditate instantly at that moment, you stop yourself and then you you get down on the floor and meditate. Oh, boy, the loopy shit I saw then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently it's a it's a known thing like that that's what can uh, apparently like um, uh, that's what can expand your subconscious. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so in the sense that like one thing I've heard, see, I don't, I don't know like the science behind it. So I'll just like talk out of my ass and people can tell me like if I'm wrong or not. But one thing I've heard about that particular thing with like hypnagogic meditation or like self hypnosis when you're like in those mm. deep like brainwave states is that you're brain like the neural pathways that you're building don't necessarily fully know the difference between like the waking life and what you're experiencing in that meditation at that moment and so like that that area is so like rich for right expanding your subconscious or like practicing developing like a new belief system like about yourself um trying to overcome or integrate things that um that you like fear or you know what I mean? Like teaching yourself how to like build boundaries, overcome like maybe particular kinds of things that have, um, that have been hard for you like in the past or something. Like I've definitely used meditation to those ends where it's your neural pathways developing this like movie right before its eyes. Right. Um, and through that, through that process of like continuing to do it, those pathways get, you know, those pathways slowly get stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and so I do feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's um yeah, it's really rich kind of tool for like self-analysis or self-reflection mm-hmm. if people are like into that, you know. Like sometimes I'm like I hate the concept of self-work. I think it's sometimes it just seems like so I'm just like annoyed by it where I'm just like I'm tired, like I'm tired of working on myself. <laughs> um but at the same time I'm the thing that's progress. Really, I know. <laughs> but the thing that's really beautiful about like like that realm, like the meditation mm-hmm. part of it, or like, right, like that hypnagogic state is that there's no actual conscious effort. Like it's subconscious. You are literally just like sitting down and like 
in your mind, you're guiding yourself. And it's for me, my personal experience is that it's always been stronger than like therapy for me, even though therapy is great, simply because it's just me in there. And so I don't have to worry about the expectations of other people. I only have to worry about like confronting mm-hmm. myself and working with myself. You know what I mean? So that's my something Sometimes weird. Can be, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's do the verdicts then. So, L, out of everything I pitched you, was anything you were kind of weird? Yeah, I'm definitely going to look at The Red Room um, and Ed Piscor's work more. Um, I'm going to see if I can like find a copy of that somewhere on Amazon or something like that to check it out. I really like that. I might watch Gen V, but I'm really bad at TV in general. But it's good to know like Eric Kripke it's good to know it's a little subversive it would be something that I would like put on a watch list and then think about watching so (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) put on a list and then think about watching it oh wow um, and then I think I think the other thing though that you mentioned was um the Nine Inch Nails album which like it's definitely my jam oh yeah I haven't even done that yeah oh God. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to that then. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, my something listenable, as Ella's spoiled everyone with, <laughs> is Nine Inch Nails, uh, the downward, <laughs> the downward spiral. No, no, I can't believe I skipped, skipped that. So, um, if you haven't heard of this album, uh, dear listener, or for yourself, L, I'd be very surprised. So, um, um, Downward Spiral is sort of, I feel like it's that first moment that I remember anything that was such, that became such a stable in um, pop culture on the mainstream that sort of combined uh, the idea of pop music and what pop music can be and that indu- and how industrial rock could be pop music. But at the same time, it also represented sort of this, uh, it was a concept album, right? So it was about the sort of the self-destruction of sort of a man and going down his own sort of downward spiral. Um and I say man as not really as a gender term, but I guess as anyone who is a human. Um, it For me, it was, it, there was always sort of this air of um, mythos about it. I think mainly because it was uh, recorded in that, um, you know, sort of the Manson family had killed Sharon Tate and all those other people at her, her party. So um, mm. it answers you know, around like like Pink Floyd is obviously quite present and David Bowie is often quite present. And, um, yeah, just that mix of different like like uh, techno and metal and like even, even sort of this like this uh, like ambiance to it. So um, let's talk about um, – let's talk about your book, Deliver Me. So when I – like I guess the – struggle that Dee has with her mum I found quite interesting throughout the in th- throughout most of the book to be honest um granted I'm only halfway through but I sort of um got this feeling that there's a intense familiarity that you had with or have with Christianity as a whole um yeah definitely like I my dad was very obsessed with Jesus while I was growing up. Like I've seen like every left behind movie um, over Christmas. He always wanted to watch like every single Jesus movie that was ever made. Um, and then I spent a lot of my adolescence in a town called Colorado Springs, which has oh, like wow. five military bases. Yeah. And like 600 churches, it's the home of like focus on the family and that sort of thing. So I did have a lot of experience with it growing up. And then when I lived in Arkansas for a time, I had a lot of, a lot more exposure to 
like particular Pentecostal strains of Christianity. Um, Mm. But in general, it's always kind of fascinated me too. Like when I decided when I was a teenager that I didn't believe in God anymore, my, like my dad was upset, but no one ever forced me into anything after that, which I think was really lucky for me because some people don't have that experience. Um, But I just kind of developed like such a strong distaste for American Christianity that for me, like if I'm going to hate something, I have to know why I hate it. Like I have to research it. So I, you know, like I do have like an interest in like the religion itself. Um, I would like read the Bible, try to understand like why different sects believe what they believe um, and that sort of thing. Like I've always kind of had like a lifelong interest in like organized religion as a whole. And even like from an anthropological perspective in terms of like, why why the human mind is like drawn to ritual and worship it seems almost like a a naturally like emergent behavior um and like obviously like with consciousness and how that interplays with like what a religious experience is like all that's always been really fascinating to me so yeah I don't know and I don't necessarily know why I mean I am interested in why people do what they do and like what drives them um, to have the beliefs that they have, that they have. So I guess like maybe just as like a writer, like I'm interested in that that part of like human psychology, you know. Well, where did the the sort of the inspiration for the book come from? Was was it sort of that because there's lots of different layers to it. There's obviously a borderline uh, obsession she has with Sloan. I guess the layer of um, uh, the need and want to be a mother and then the need to be loved by daddy but also to satisfy his own wants and desires. So was I guess what I'm asking is, was the, the plan with the the book to, to always have those different layers or was there... So was it something that just sort of happened organically as you first started, you know, planning out um, the the novel as a whole? Well, yeah, I always knew, like, where the book was going to end. Like, that was, like, kind of my starting point was always having, like, the final scenes in my mind. And I didn't exactly know how I was going to get there. So a lot of, um, I think a lot of the relationship stuff felt like it just kind of came through as I was writing. Cause I was like, how do I get from point A to point B? And then with every successive draft, I think I went through like seven drafts of this, the relationship stuff just got like deeper and deeper. Um, and I was trying to work to create more tension and illustrate how a person like this might um, like function in society and like how the people around her might respond because it's based it's based on um, like a very fringe crime that does happen. I think there's only like 35 or 36 recorded cases yeah. of it, like, yeah, happening in the world. And um, I just, I guess I, I'm just, I was just interested, like, in terms of the real world, it's like, how could like a society or the community or the immediate people around um, this person like fail her so much? Um, how could she? kind of like live in her own delusion for this long and like nobody notice and so I guess those relationship patterns just sort of like emerged through trying to explore what that is or could look like where did you get the idea for the insect scene oh that uh everyone always asks me this and I my only answer is just that bugs you about that (laughs) (laughs) I have spent way too much time on on the asshole of the internet and just shit is in my mind. It just fills my brain space for some reason. And when I was writing this, um, I think like my agent or a friend was just like, turn this up to 11. And so I was just like, okay, (laughs) okay. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, (laughs) So I have a feeling that I'm, because I haven't finished the book, but I have this feeling that um that there's going to be a murder towards the end, um, uh, and I'm feeling that Sloane is going to cop it, uh, cop the murder. Is that fair to say? 
I think you should read the book. <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> there are people listening to this who probably still haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm about halfway through. Um, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, I probably should finish <laughs> the book. Um, <laughs> there's not enough pictures in it, though. <laughs> There's, um, there's, there's bumblebees. Uh, there's bumblebees in there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's also a yeah. picture of a baby somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That, that'll help. Um, so with, um, with Sloan, is she based on any, cause I guess the, um, I guess what I'm getting to is the relationship between, uh, Sloan and Dee Dee. Um, it, there's lots of innate detail to it, um, uh, so much that I feel like it might have been based on either a friend um, in in your life, um, in ter- or someone that you've sort of, I guess, um, viewed from afar. Um, is that? Uh, I mean, is Sloan based on anyone you know, or? Um, I don't know if I would say that. I would say like Sloan is based on if anyone has ever had like a desire for a person who like fucking hated them, they probably understand that unique kind of pain. Mostly like I think in high, you know, like in high school, it's more common, hopefully, or like your early 20s or something. (laughs) Um, but like like, (laughs) that kind of experience is like very like i guess based on that where there's like this insecure like attachment oh no sorry i'm using therapy language i hate using therapy language to describe fiction but like you know she there's like this (laughs) sense that she like she can't have this thing that she wants and she's trying very hard for like this person's approval like that's a universal experience and so i would say it's based on my observation of you know the human tendency to like cling um and you know sure i would say like of having crushes or something i've envisioned like as writing i've envisioned sloan like trying to think like what what would i do like if i had a crush like on a person like this and she treated me this way um and i was like daisy like if i was like this person like i think i just spent a lot of time trying to think about what that feels like which isn't very hard because you know like i think that's you know wanting something or wanting a person who doesn't want you like that unrequited feeling is you know it's pretty i think it's pretty common it's easy to extrapolate like an experience you might have had into something that is also like you know completely fictional so Because there's at times that um, and it could be just because of the your own descriptors that you use to describe Sloane. She seems more like a, more like a force, if that makes sense. A um, yeah, that something that, or at least um, there's elements to her personality that um, that uh, DD wants and desires and sees her own shortcomings in that. Um, that that's what I got from it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like Sloane is like the cool girl, like in high school, right? Like, she's effortlessly cool, it seems like from the outside, a cool girl like that knows really how to dress and like how to interact with like boys and like and even girls, you know, Um, you know, she's got like the right look and like the right taste in music and, you know, um, seems like ethereal and almost enigmatic. Like she definitely has like that, that kind of flavor to her. You know what I mean? And then for Daisy, it's like, Mm. you know, I think like when you grow up, like out of high school and that kind of thing, you kind of realize that the cool girl is also riddled with like her own anxieties and self-doubt and like all of those kinds of things. And maybe Daisy is just like that kind of representation of all of those like insecurities, but like splayed on the outside, you know, like that stuff like never goes away for her and she kind of never outgrows it. That's partly why too, you know, she has this tattoo novel the ugly duckling in a way it's like this sense of like, when is this transformation going to happen for me is kind of like her, 
um, like her feeling, but she goes through her whole life feeling like that, like thirties. And she's still feeling like I'm the ugly duckling. Like, when do I get to be the swan? Or when do I get to like possess and love the swan? When does the swan like get to love me? Um, and so that's kind of, I guess, how I view, view that like those two in a way. It's almost like a parasocial relationship we had, she has with her. Was that on purpose? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's potentially parasocial because they do still have like a relationship that they've developed, but I think Sloan definitely like, you know, there's parts in the book where it's very obvious. She's kind of using Daisy to her own ends without being very considerate about her feelings and like what that's going to do specifically like as a teenager, which, you know, it kind of makes sense because teenagers can be, you know, can be cruel to each other. Um, and so so I don't know if I would call it parasocial because parasocial is more like when you don't have a relationship with that person, right? But like you think that you do based on like those interactions. Is that how you would define parasocial? I'm like not 100% clear on like how that is termed. Yeah, as, like, well, I guess, I guess there seems to be these different sides to Daisy's character. I mean, there's the the side that she sort of shows Sloane, but then there's also the side that that sort of wants and desires what Sloane has. So I guess that if someone could have a parasocial split personality almost, if you know what I mean, but then it could just be mm. an obsession and I'm using the the wrong term. But, um, uh, yeah, I guess I just um, I found the the obsession part that it seemed to go an extra level if you know what i mean mm. there's obsession and then there's what you've presented in deliver me with with yeah. their relationship yeah yeah it's like, it's like yeah. an extra extra level yeah 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 definitely and i yeah i am exploring the obsession on that level a, a big part of like my desire was trying to represent um like what obsession looks like when it does go like for, you know, too far, like there's a level of obsession obsession that people tend to naturally have with, you know, even just crushes or what have you. But at some point, like her thoughts become more impulsivity actually starts to form like her decisions that she's making in the real world. Like it leaves her mind and starts going to the real world. Um, And I was interested in this specifically because of like, Thinking about like serial killers and and psychopaths and stuff like that, like they are driven by these levels of of obsession. But then at some point, these obsessive thoughts become like compulsive, impulsive thoughts, and then they start translating into the real world in these like really antisocial and like dangerous ways. And they start doing that by like breaking boundary, like seeing how far like they can push these boundaries around them, like before you know, they get caught. And that that type of thing is always interesting because it's like, well, at what point does a person's obsession become like that kind of damaging, both to them and like society? You know what I mean? Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. I think what you've done quite well is you're talking about serial killers and I guess the the there's the different steps that I guess serial killers go through. There's obviously you you know, there's sort of at the start there's the killing of like a, an animal and then they sort of d- devolve into you know um either someone who might break into a house or then they might kill um uh someone or rape someone and then it goes that extra level they're then trying to sort of discover who they are through those sort of heinous acts um mm. that's what yeah, this yeah. has in I feel like that's what this that's that's what you've done really well in terms of the the pacing with this book. Um, in, in terms of her uh, daisies gradually devolving into what she either wants to be or through her own actions what she ends up being. Yeah, it's almost like she kind of can't help it, like in the sense that she has agency, but there's also this the invisible hand of her obsession is kind of guiding her you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Are we meant to hate daddy? Everyone asks that, and I feel like it should be up to the reader to decide how they feel. 
<laughs> it should be up to the reader. You know, I think, I think, I mean, that's why I, I try to write my characters without this impending sense of judgment because I want people to like kind of figure it out for themselves, you know, for themselves. I don't like telling people like how to feel about, about something, you know, I just kind of want to like present these characters as they are, you know, and let people draw their own conclusions. Now you obviously had a great review through Publishers Weekly, but as someone who's still sort of um, new to the book industry, I'm hoping that, and like from all the readings you've been done to promote your book, I'm hoping that's it's had like an overwhelmingly positive effect. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, I feel like it's been received really well and I'm really grateful for that. Um, I'm hoping that it finds people, like it finds readers where they're at. I don't know, like, I don't know how far the book has reached or anything like that, but I mean, that is you know that is my hope is that um like it finds people but i'm really grateful just in terms of it being out in the world because it's been like sort of a long road and it almost even feels like i don't know like even though i have like four books i almost feel like it's like my first proper novel in a way like does that make sense you know Mm -hmm. like i'm like this is i feel still like i'm a baby writer and i'm like here's my book hopefully people like it, you know, but it feels um, like I am proud of it. Like there's parts I still cringe at that I, I hate, like looking back at it and being like, why did I write this? But at the same time, um, I also feel like, yeah, I'm like, okay, I, I've done my best. <laughs> it's here now. <laughs> I, um, I feel like, um, the sort of the, the, um, more i guess we'll call it non-mainstream side of the book industry is getting to a point where it's starting to welcome in uh like women writers who are writing things that uh stories that are uh, a bit more visceral a bit more uh gross and disgusting and things that i guess wouldn't be would have wouldn't have been considered atypical feminine say 10 20 years ago uh are you sort of get are you getting a similar vibe um i definitely feel like in the last couple years there has been this rise i mean even in the mainstream market of like violent female narratives um even like just violent female narratives that like are just purely meant to be for shock, like not even necessarily like there's this foundational re- reason, you know, like in horror movies, there's always been like revenge, like flicks and stuff like that. Um, but like Titan came out and was really well received. Um, and like there, and I think like animal by Lisa Tedeo came out. That was a major, that was on a major press night bitch came out by Rachel Yoder. That was, I think that was on a major press. Um, and so slowly, yeah, like I do see like an increase in these kinds of narratives and in the independent world, especially like independent literature world there, um, there are some really fucking great writers who are writing this kind of violence. Like Charlene Elsby is one of them. She's prolific. She's got books coming out all the time. She has one coming out next year called violent faculties, which, um, I think I've heard like, of her. yeah, I've read violent faculties in like less than 24 hours it's like a fucking pleasure to read it's so clever it's so good um i think that comes out next spring from clash books um and so seeing like seeing this and seeing independent presses also pick up these like weird um like a gritty kind of works is it gives me like a lot of hope for independent publishing like people talk a lot about the mainstream industry not wanting to take on a lot of risk but What's nice about independent publishing is that, well, they kind of like assume they they assume this kind of risk. They publish these books. They show that there is a market for it. And I just feel like that can only be good for fiction like this. And it's stuff that's really like, you know, kind of pushing boundaries um, in a way, not in like just a transgressive way, but in the sense of like, um, I guess I like to look at the novel as this. I don't know how I look at a novel. Why did I say this? 
it's like you know an expression of like it's like you know it it gives you an idea of like what the world could look like you know if human experience exists on like this spectrum from like ultimate euphoria like on one Mm. end to like the most horrific shit like on the other i think there tends to be this sense that like women writers are relegated to this world of like auto fiction or chiclet or romance or yeah. like gone girl which gone girl kind of like touches on that a little bit where it's like oh we're not the girl boss women anymore um but we're still like yeah. really smart and capable and like stuff like that which is fine like i think there is a place for that there's nothing wrong with that but i think we're like pushing further now and we're saying like yeah well this this woman is like fucking horrific and we're just going to eavesdrop on this like life for a little bit and we're not going to like make any apologies for it and we're going to explore what that looks like in the world and i find it just really refreshing you know so because there's this there's this box that i feel that women are thrown into that you have to act a certain way and then by the same tangent you have to write books a certain way and i feel like that box is getting crushed right now yeah yeah i think so and hopefully hopefully it continues to like seeing things that are outside of that right like that mainstream norm of like what we would expect or what's marketable um like there is there is a place like people do want to read these kinds of narratives and it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um bit of a shifting gears. Tell me about Witchcraft Mag. Yeah, so it's my literary magazine which I started in 2015 with a friend. Um and wow. it yeah, it's been run like I would do like one print issue a year. Um I think we have eight print issues. At this point, um I moved the mag online. And, um, yeah, yeah, I like to publish things that are more in this like kind of dark, um, realm, you know, I mean, for me, like when I'm publishing something, it's mostly like, does this like move me? Does this feel like, does this feel like a kind of, does it have like an authentic danger in the sense that there's something that feels really vulnerable here? Um, does the language, you know, flow right? Does it keep me like in this fictive dream state? There's a lot I think that I that I look for um, when I publish things. It's been on a bit of a hiatus because my life's been pretty busy for the last year and a half. But as I switch gears um, with things, I'm hoping to open submissions fairly soon. But it'll be probably kind of slow going. There is. If people are interested in submitting, there's a newsletter on the site that you can sign up for, and then I will send out information about that when we do that. So there's also um, there's a podcast in the works, which will be hosted by my friends Genevieve Jagger and Julia Fisher, and they are essentially kind of digging through the archives to pull up like past work and present it and talk about it, which I think is really special because once something's published, sometimes it's just kind of out there and people forget about it. And yeah. like yeah. the fact that they were like, let's like go through this and like find these, these old gems and like talk about them. I really like that concept. So that should be coming out pretty soon as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's sort of that feeling of, and I used to run my own website where, um, and it's gone now, but um, it uh, there's sort of that feeling of you, it's you know it's out there, and but then when you, it comes to you know life gets too busy and you want to close it, you feel like it's lost forever. You know what I mean? Like you've sort of written down some notes and you've thrown it into the void and you're never getting back that thing that you wrote down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. um. Yeah, I um I really like as someone who writes um SEO articles sort of part time. I really admire people like yourself who have a website that um sort of puts up a very big fuck you to SEO um, <laughs> <laughs> by doing doing like fiction online um uh, like having fiction magazine online. Um, like you, I think you you're doing it. Uh, there's another website called Apocalypse Confidential. They're doing it, and I'm just really loving oh, yeah. the rise of um, yeah. Some of the stuff they do is just batshit crazy, but I love it. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I really like the rise in um, in sort of like um people that 
would probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago would have created a zine and then just, Mm -hmm. you know, handed it out to their mates. But now it's, um, you know, it's gone online, which is really cool to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that too. Um, Apocalypse Confidential is really cool. There's like Scab Magazine and Self Fuck. And I mean, there's so many really great um, small literary magazines out there. Um, like it's like, it's like innovative, interesting, great prose, stuff like that. So if you wouldn't find right, like in the Paris review or Tin house or something, and it's wonderful to see, I think you're right about scenes where it's like, it's nice to have something that is online. It's, it's findable. It makes, it makes the world feel like a little bit smaller being able to like access that, you know, from anywhere in the world. Zines are really special. I do love zines. I used to make them um, a lot. And that was actually why I wanted... My interest in starting witchcraft started was because I was like, I want to make a zine. But then I was like, okay, maybe I'll make this like an actual print, you know, like magazine. Um, And then, of course, um, print has become really expensive. I moved overseas. Shipping is like insane. Like it's it's way too... It's just so expensive right now so that's what makes the internet so wonderful is it's yeah. not that expensive to share and create a platform for really fucking cool fiction and poetry yeah yeah like on a personal note why why the move from america to glasgow um i mean do you get a lot of news from america <laughs> in Australia? <laughs> 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 a lot of good reasons for that but also oh, just wow. like i have I, I had some like i had what, a what part of here. overt <laughs> white nationalism doesn't appeal to you <laughs> <laughs> right yeah oh, but geez. like i had some <laughs> friends in I had some friends in Scotland um, and I'd come over here on a book tour in like 2019, which I was really lucky to have. Mm-hmm. And I'd only got to stay in Glasgow for like three hours, but I was like, I love this city so much um, and I want to come back here. And there's just, yeah. there's an amazing arts scene here. Um, there's a lot of really good writers here. Um, Chris Kelso, he's a sci-fi writer. Like he lives out here. He does a lot of really great curating and bringing people together. Um, he wrote this, his book was just re-released this year called the black dog eats the city. Um, there's a lot of really great film, like there's film festivals. There's the Edinburgh international book festival, which is, there's just so much art. Like there's a really great scene. Um, and it's nice to, as a person who was living in flyover country and watching like all the cool lit stuff happen on the coasts in America. There are so many great writers that I get to hang out with like all of the time, like in person in Glasgow um, that make living here feel um, like it was the right choice. So Glasgow is like a gem, you know, I'm a bit like, does anybody know like how great this city is? Because it's pretty fucking great. My um, family's from there originally, so I need to get over there one day soon. Yeah, yeah. Come visit. It's great. <laughs> All right. Um, Elle, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Sad Erotica. My handle is pretty much the same everywhere or lnash.net. Awesome. Thanks very much for coming on My Kind of Weird and sorry about the issues. <laughs> You're good. We made it work. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right, everyone. See you guys next week. Um, but for now, Elle and I are going to head off. Stay weird, everyone. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.